friends, Uncle Marv here with another episode of the IT Business Podcast, your podcast for business networking support. We talk about just about anything that has to do with IT in our industry. We talk about products and stories and tips, all in an effort to help you do your jobs better, smarter, and faster. And as promised, I told you all that I would be bringing on new guests to the show And I think I found a really good new friend, and we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of different things. But before I start telling you about that, let me introduce Anya Khan from Rise Visible. Anya, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining the show, and I want to thank you for our pre-chat that we did a few weeks ago, and I got to learn about you, and oh my, you have a story. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. So, uh, folks, Anya is CEO of a company called Rise Visible. They are a digital marketing agency, but they are a complete agency. They do websites, SEO, uh, all your digital marketing and branding and design. So a little bit of everything. All right. And when did you start that? So I started this kind of almost 25 years ago, accidentally. Uh So this was not something I had hoped to be doing with my life. I actually wanted to be a therapist. Oh, And so, yeah, it's very different than what I'm doing now. Although sometimes dealing with clients is kind of like therapy. (laughs) You need therapy. (laughs) We need therapy after a lot of times. (laughs) Totally. So basically what happened is I was going to school. I had moved to a different state. I was really excited about being a therapist. I grew up in a really challenging environment, and that's what really drove my interest in therapy because I wanted to help myself, but also help other people that had come from challenging backgrounds. And when I moved to St. Louis from Michigan, I was on my way to a new job in a new state, not doing any of the things that we've talked about. I was actually a dental assistant, which is a whole other thing. It was a great job to have while I was going to school. And in Michigan, you didn't have to get certified. So it was excellent money to help fund my education to be a therapist. And I went to the office within about an hour. I heard screaming in the break room and went back there and it was 9-11. And at that point, I was very uncomfortable and I just asked my boss to leave. I left. I never returned. I went and I went and volunteered at the Red Cross, lived on the money I had, tried to find a job and couldn't. It was unreasonable to try to find a job during those uh, first few months in 9-11. It just wasn't really feasible. And I was also dealing with a lot of health things that were perpetuated by that level of stress of being somewhere else and then a a very huge world uh, tragedy. I had to figure out how to take care of myself. And then I'm going to take you back to 1998. So back in 1998, I had a really good friend give me a computer with Photoshop and Dreamweaver and all of these things like Flash. I built websites. I built um, CD covers. I mean, anything you can think of for fun. It was not a job, but I did make a little money here and there like for fun. But when we returned back to 2001... I thought about maybe leaning into that. Mm. So that's where it kind of shifted for me to say, okay, what can I do as somebody who's struggling with a health issue? What can I do to maybe make a living? I leaned into that really hard. 
I went to a local agency to get a job, maybe brought my portfolio. They laughed at me gently and told me to like, go home, (laughs) come back in a few years. And I did it on my own and I have been doing it ever since. Now that was also a time where, you know, the tech bubble had just kind of burst and, you know, out in, you know, California and that trickled obviously across the country. So it was hard for people in tech uh, for that time as well. Now, let me let me start with this because I want to let the listeners know that even though your business is marketing, that's not really the focus of this podcast. I want to kind of do a little shift and, you know, you, you started to speak about it in your history, but you've got what I consider a trifecta and you are a female business owner. You are a female in tech and you are a female with a disability. So in my world where, you know, for those that do not know, and if you don't know by now, you haven't been listening to the show much or you haven't seen me, but as a black man in tech, you know, that's, it's not that it's a disability, but it's not that common. And I have talked about things like diversity and inclusion, but we've not talked about disabilities. So I, that's the reason I wanted to talk with you and get more of a perspective. Um, and as a female in all those three <laughs> segments, uh, it's kind of interesting. It is. It's a, it's an interesting thing for me to really also step into because I've had no problem being a female in tech and knew that that was an anomaly. Right. But the disability section of that has, is a really new thing for me to accept and be open to because I was already vulnerable in the other parts of, of it, being a female in tech in general, and then adding a disability onto that. I did take a really hard look at if I wanted to be public about that. And I feel like it's important to be so that other people with disabilities or other marginalized groups can see that you can do whatever you want. Right. Now let's give the listeners a little bit of history because you don't have a disability that is very visible. Somebody that looks at you, if, you know, if we were to have this on video and we will do a live show later, they're going to look and be like, hmm, I don't see it. Is is there a wheelchair that we don't see or something like that? So let's go back and describe that so people have a have an understanding of what we're talking about. Great. So it's important to know that there is invisible and dis- there are invisible and visible disabilities, which is, you know, a tongue twister to say. And People often think of the word disability and they think about people with wheelchairs or they think about people with limb loss. When actually one in four Americans have a disability and 80% of them are invisible, meaning that you would not be able to notice that. You could be in a room with four people and one of those people may not present to you what they have, but they are struggling with the disability. So for me, my disabilities are Ehlers-Danlos um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, mast cell activation syndrome, and I have post-orthostatic tachycardia, and then I have a bunch of other, you know, genetic mishaps that go along with it, <laughs> like uh, um, like PTSD, which comes from the years and years and years of trying to get support and doctors completely being oblivious to what I'm dealing with, because what I am dealing with is um, very rare, but now in the last couple of years, we're noticing it's not as rare as we thought it was because the more people are getting diagnosed, 
the more of us that are diagnosed are being able to see other people that are diagnosed and get them the treatment they need because doctors have a lot to think about. They have a lot to remember, a lot, millions of diseases to to know. But there is also, you know, that neglect part of it too, where if you are a challenging person when you come in and your diagnosis isn't simple, sometimes you really can't get the help you need. So Ehlers-Danlos is a connective tissue disorder. And what that is, is it means anything in my body that has collagen and keeps me connected. So that's ligaments that has to do with every organ. So my esophagus, my stomach, my brain, anything that's gluing me together as a person is kind of faulty. So a good example of that is think about a rubber band that's been stretched too far that you can't recover. Okay. So we're often hypermobile. We're not flexible. That's a very different story. Hypermobile is dangerous. So uh, really people with this that are in extreme uh, progression can lean over and grab a cup and dislocate an arm like that. That's simple. Just doing something so simple can dislocate a part of your body. Mast cell activation syndrome is an allergic reaction disorder. And I'm allergic to pretty much everything. I have to eat the same foods in the same order every single day. There's only 10 of them. If I deviate from that, I can die. I can have a life-threatening allergic reaction. Going out into the public, being around cigarette smoke, going into a building where somebody is wearing perfume, anything that my body deems to be outside of the norm, which is anything, (laughs) I can have an allergic reaction, a life-threatening allergic reaction. And then POTS is post-orthostatic tachycardia, which is associated with dysononomia. And dysononomia is an autonomic nervous dysfunction, an autonomic nervous system dysfunction, meaning my heart rate, my blood pressure, my breathing, all of these things that we do automatically, my body doesn't do them well. So if I lean over to pick something up, I not only can dislocate something, my heart can't really pump enough blood to get me oxygen so I can pass out. And so it's 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 a trifecta in in this part of my life as well and EDS is the umbrella the sononomia and pots mast cell all of those are a result of the and I got diagnosed in 18 with mast cell and finally got my major diagnosis of EDS July 2021 which was obviously extremely life changing spent a lot of time going oh oh yeah okay yeah yeah. Oh, that's that makes sense now. There's wow. a lot of aha moments. So I, of course, tried to do some research so I would, you know, be able to converse with you. Uh, all of those diseases are things that are very hard for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Me too. And I will have links in the show notes for everybody that wants to go and look at those more in depth. But I, I remember hearing you on another podcast talk about this isn't something like that just happened. You know, it isn't like, you know, you woke up one day and all of a sudden these things started attacking. It wasn't like an accident. It, you know, this is something that you in a sense live with your entire life and nobody believed that you had issues. Yeah. I came out of the wound like having allergic reactions to food and I couldn't even eat it couldn't even do breast milk. And they ended up feeding me some type of bloody juice thing to keep, and this is the 80s or not, sorry, 70s. 
So they didn't really have formulas and things in a way that could support me that I was digesting. So this whole like meat juice thing happened. And I didn't find out about this till way later in my life. And then most of my younger years, there weren't really things that, except for I didn't really like to eat. I tripped and fell a lot. I mean, there was a lot of things now that I look back, like even in high school, I wore big boots and and things that held my ankles. And I thought I just liked them because of fashion. As of like last year, I went, Oh no, I was wearing them because of stability. Mm. I was needing the stability, but we adapt ourselves to the things that we think are normal. We don't even think about it. So my entire life was spent until things obviously started to progress really badly, where then I started to seek medical attention rather than just adapting to just realize that I don't even know what normalcy is. I don't have any clue what a normal body does. I mean, when I got diagnosed, my elbow subluxes. And what that means for people is it doesn't dislocate completely, but it kind of moves out of socket that if I go to twist my arm, it'll pop really hard and pop back in because it's not completely where it needs to be. And I thought this was normal. And of course, when I got my diagnosis, and I'm doing all this research and looking, you know, obviously looking more detailed into things. I came out to my partner and I said, do you, does this happen with your arm? And he's like, no, (laughs) I didn't know. So there's just so much in life when we grow up and we grow through these things that no one's aware of that we just learn to adapt and accept until of course it gets to a point where we can't. And then being met with hundreds of different doctors telling me I'm crazy, telling me I have mental health problems, just really gaslighting me at times was really hard. And even my family and friends started to think I was crying wolf because every test is coming back going, well, we're not really seeing anything. And they can only, you can only hear somebody complaining or needing some type of support for so many years that there's so many like professionals coming back going, we don't see anything. And at one point I just accepted I was crazy. I just did. Hmm. I signed myself into a psych ward and said, you know what? That's fine. If you think I'm crazy, then let's do it. Like I'm self-aware enough to like accept that maybe I don't know what's going on. Wow. Now you talked about the things with, you know, I mean, liking the boots, I get. People aren't going to see that as an outward sign of anything. But in terms of things like falling down a lot and having these body out of I don't want to say out of body experience, but you know, an elbow going in a different direction than most of us are used to. Did people see that and think, Oh, what's wrong? Or, I mean, how did you go through all those years? Because I got to imagine junior high and high school are not kind years when you're different. No. And I was very different also um, in my brain. I definitely am somebody who's also very neurodivergent And the way I behaved in school and the way that I was, that mentally was obviously something I was picked on for. I also, like I said, had a really um, terrible upbringing. So I didn't have any support at home. And then I was going to school and I was getting bullied, Mm. like incessantly being spit on, being thrown in, you know, creeks. Um, and for me, any of the the visual things, such as my arm going weird or like me bending my hand in a certain way, they were considered party tricks, right? It was kind of funny that I could do these things, that I could wrap my hand around, like people close to me, you know, would think it was funny. Right. And of course, years later, 
you know, like now my doctor's like, don't do the party tricks. Like that's one of the first things that they, they give you a form at the Ehlers-Danlos Society or EDS, which is easier to say. And one of the top things is, did you do party tricks as a kid? Really? <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. You're like, um, yes, I did. Yes, I, yes, I did turn my arm completely around and, you know, but yeah. And they tell you to stop. And what's the reason? Because it's just like a rubber band. If I'm going to take my arm and I'm going to show you how far I can bend it, wow. the more that I'm bending it and stretching it, the worse the, it can get, the worse it's going to get. And okay. so they're like, well, it's fun when you're cute and you're little, but like at this point you're, you're getting older and these kinds of things could cause a very large detriment in the long run. I mean, you want to make sure that the, that your ligaments in your body, they, they're going to be as stretchy as they are. And you really don't want to get to that point of that rubber band. Cause at some point you can break. I mean, that's the other thing too. It's not just dislocations. People with my disorder have, you know, their stomachs explode. They have their digestive tracts, you know, have, uh, I can't think of the word right now. I want to say it's like distended or, you know, like, like it's pushing out. I can't think of the word right now, but there's all of these complex things that you just don't want to do. Hmm. I, okay. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm trying to grasp because even though we've talked, it's just hard yeah. to go back and think, okay, I don't remember that. And that sounds weird, but obviously it's not weird for you. This is how you've lived. So in all of these things, did you find out whether or not this is something that you know, you said you were born with it. So is it genetic? Is it heredity? Uh, how did all of this come about? So EDS is typically genetic, but there are people, and I'm one of them, that somehow a gene mutates and you get it. Hmm. And that just happens. But there's a lot of people who can look back historically and see grandma or mom or grandpa or great grandpa living with this, you know, situation going in and having, you know, their ankles tripping over and having sprained ankles all the time or falling regularly or having these things that were just overlooked because med the medical world really didn't see this as a problem because there's so many pieces. You have the ability to fall and then you have all these digestive tract issues. So then you're in a GI doctor and then there's heart components that are played with this. So then you're in the cardiologist and the idea is trying to map this out and realize that all these things play together, but these specialists don't, don't know that. So for me, something mutated in my body. I don't, I don't know. I thank my parents for that. <laughs> I'm like, but I also have a history in my family with a lot of autoimmune issues. So my family already has a lot of genetic issues. So it doesn't surprise me. I just, mine's expressed much more severe than anybody else's, mm. unfortunately. But I also think, because this is an important thing to say, I very strongly believe as somebody who has such a love for psychology, that there's a large component that is played when you are somebody who's growing up in a challenging environment. There are studies called ACEs, their adverse childhood experiences, and there's about 10 of them. And every one you check off creates the possibility of you having heart problems, being an addict, you know, all of these things in your life. And I checked off pretty much all 10 of them. So mm. I think that could have 
informed how progressed my disease process has been. Okay. So you didn't start getting correct diagnoses until 2018, which is not that long ago. So a lot of your life, you know, as a child, I understand, as a you know, teenager, I understand. But as an adult, you had to also adjust. And you mentioned 9-11 and trying to get work after that. Tell me how was life as an adult going through this? You had not yet been diagnosed. So you're trying to adjust. Uh, was that part of the reason that you wanted to be a therapist? I think I one of the big reasons I wanted to be a therapist was really the childhood situation. Okay. But also feeling misunderstood, having all of these health challenges have really informed that as well. On a side, I actually do a project called Create for Healing, and it's where I put all my love for therapy and creativity. So we do like projects based on identity or PTSD, excuse me, and we mix that with art, writing and other kind of creative things. But with my disease process, the, the therapy thing, I still just love it. I still just have this, you know, if I had a ton of money and I had a ton of time, I'd probably still go back to school just to say that I, I could, but I also love what I do. You know, the years that I have spent moving into the tech space, moving into the web design space, I love what I do because I'm a problem solver. So as a person that had to continually problem solve all the time, which means what's wrong with me, I'm always trying to figure that out. On top of the fact, moving through a able-bodied world, how I navigate the world is very different than other people. The way that I walk out of the house is very different. Like we've experienced this with COVID. So the able-bodied folks in the world they had to experience COVID and how isolating it was and how things got shut down and how the world shifted. It doesn't matter your political view or what you think about COVID, if it's real or not. None of that matters. Our world has changed and we've had to adapt. And a lot of people that are disabled kind of looked at the world and said, we've been doing this for a long time. You know, I already wore a mask. I already had to be careful. I already was moving in and out of that. And for me, the tech space to doing the SEO, to building a website, to coming up with digital marketing strategies really just fills me because it's not boring. It's an ever-changing field, as you know, being in tech. It's always shifting. It's always changing. It's recalibrating. And I just love to problem solve. So for me, over the years of dealing with my disorder, I really feel disorders. I really feel that the space that I work in really helped me ground myself and give me somewhere else to put that energy and really focus and help people in a, in a different way. So I can understand you seeing that now as you look back, but when you started to officially do the tech business, what was it that, you know, had that uh, click in the head going, Oh, this is what I need to do full time. I just really loved it. I just, I love web design so much. I love the understanding of looking at code and then looking at that and going, because I'm, you know, not just a web designer, I'm a web developer too. So it's, you know, there's two different, two different fields here. Web designers are the people that make it look pretty. Developers are the people on the back end doing coding. There's often overlap, but there are plenty of amazing web developers that make very ugly websites. 
And there are amazing web designers that make websites that don't function well at all. They're beautiful, you know, but they don't function. And for me, that was really where I fell because I'm an artist. I'm a creative, but I'm also, I'm very, I'm very much in the middle. I love math and I love painting, (laughs) you know, like I love that. And so I got to put both things together. I got to put this passion for creativity. I love to paint. I love to write. And so doing that and then bringing in this whole like mathematical part of it really just feels good to me. And I love that with, I also am somebody, for example, with SEO, I love, give me something to be competitive in, do it. Cause I will run circles around you. I am tenacious and I don't give up. So that's kind of why I just, I like a good, I like a good competition and I love mixing creativity and something scientific with it. All right. Well, before we move on, I want to let the listeners know uh, the audio podcast is what you're listening to now, but you are going to be joining us for a live show on Wednesday, November 9th. And for my regular listeners, you'll know that that is Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I want to let everybody know ahead of time because we're not going to be able to fully get into the tech part of the discussion, but that'll be a time where we follow up with that. And hopefully you all will have listened to this and gone and looked up all those diseases and understood them, but also to look up her website because the things that she talked about can all be found at risevisible.com. And as we mentioned earlier, SEO websites, digital marketing and the branding and design are all what you do from the, from the business side. You mentioned already that, uh, I just lost the website. I'm trying to grab it back here. The uh, creative. Create for healing. Create for healing. And you are an award-winning artist. I am. So you have an entire site. So the Rise Visible is the business website. You have your own website, anyakhan.com. And for those that haven't read the the podcast cover, Anya is spelled A-U-N-I-A. And the last name is K-A-H-N, like Star Trek, Wrath of Khan. (laughs) Every time. Come on. Do do you think we would get away from it in this one? No, I did not. (laughs) Uh, So you can go there and see uh, all of her great art and and, uh, follow her there. So let's go back real quick because what I want to do is I want to save a lot of this stuff for that other podcast. Uh, because there's a couple of questions that have to do with web design and marketing and SEO. Cause I, I don't market. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a website and I think it looks good, but I really have no idea how it functions and stuff. I have people for that. Um, but when you talk about your company, what we did not mention is that you are, are an award-winning digital marketing service as well. And that is now has that been everywhere you've gone or is it this all been in Oregon where you're based now? So it is it is a new thing that started to happen okay. since the diagnosis. So it's it's in Oregon. We have a couple awards, like we just won the Up City Award for Best in Oregon. And then um we are also listed through Clutch as one of the top digital marketing agencies in Eugene. 
Okay. Yeah, so a lot of these awards and, and things that have happened have really happened in the last year. They weren't things that I was focused on so much because I was over the years was really focused on just keeping the business going and staying alive, <laughs> you know? And now I'm in this amazing since about 2019, after my diagnosis in 18, I got on the right medication that helped me from having three to five allergic reactions a day to three to five a month, Mm. which completely changed the way that I could put my energy into the world. And so that's where we are with the awards and how we've started to move into a space of being recognized through different things like podcasts and, and PR. Yeah. And clutch also have you, has you listed as one of the top 100 women owned digital agencies. They do. I don't know how many there are, but it's good to be mentioned. <laughs> yes. And we're also a top digital, we're a top disabled um, business as well. Through Watch. We're certified through them as a woman owned business. We're certified that through them as a disabled owned business. And then we're also certified through DOBE, which is Disabled Business Owners Enterprise. Okay. Which is an amazing thing. They also have certifications for vets and it's an important certification because it allows us to look at contracts and jobs through larger corporations and companies that want to employ or hire contract out people that are marginalized. All right. So there's going to be a lot of links. I'm going to need your help <laughs> in all of this stuff because of all the things we've talked about doing, uh, you have the trifecta of disabilities. How do you have the time? <laughs> how do I have how do I have the time? Yes. I don't know. I, I think it's, I truly think it's the neurodivergent part of me. I'm just very focused, very driven. And I, I want to say this because it's so important. I think when you lose such a large portion of your life, you not being able to do the things you can and want to, I think when you finally have that door open, it's hard not to go at everything, try everything do everything you can. Because one thing with disabilities is you just never know when the world is going to shift for you. You never really know, like I'm doing great right now, but I never know, is that, is that going to change for me tomorrow? I doubt it. I've been on a long stretch of good since 19 and it's 2022. But a lot of us live with that feeling of, we don't know when the next moment is going to shift. Maybe I eat something and I die tomorrow. I mean, we all have that as human beings, intrinsically knowing that we walk out into the street, we might get hit by a car. But I think living with what I live is just so much more acute and so much in the forefront of everything normal I do from eating that I live from that space of just almost burning the candle at both ends because I'm also passionate and I I love what I do so much. In all aspects, from the art to the crate for healing to my agency, I just love it all. So it's, you know, I got to titrate myself sometimes and go like, it's 10 o'clock at night. You probably should stop doing things. Shut it down. So I just want to say that talking to you and, you know, the way that I kind of try to grasp this. So I know people that, you know, have celiac disease and have to live a gluten-free life and they have to watch what they eat and they're very regimented in what they can and cannot eat, what they can and cannot touch. Uh, and that's 
one thing by itself. I have a stepson that has a visual disability that, you know, doesn't have peripheral vision, doesn't have depth perception, walks funny, um, can never drive. And that's a whole different thing. I know, you know, people with other diseases that are debilitating in the sense that they can't function and operate like a normal person. You have all of this wrapped up in one body. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, Now, the fact that you, you know, have started speaking out about it, you've mentioned before in other podcasts and business engagements that I've seen you in that, you know, you wanted to be quiet for so long and now you, you, you feel this, I don't know if it's obligation to talk about it. Can you describe that for us? Absolutely. So I really felt that I couldn't speak about it because partially because I didn't have a name. I didn't have a diagnosis that that is part of the reason why it was driven that way. But also once I got a diagnosis, it still felt dangerous as a business owner because before COVID, I really didn't have, there weren't the same kind of opportunities that there are now for working remotely. And my business was what made a living for me. I don't have anybody else in my life that's contributing to paying my bills. Like this is, this is my rodeo. This is my house. These are my bills and anything that could get in the way of connecting with people because there is judgment on disabilities. There just is. People will judge me even if I'm severely successful. They're still going to judge me and think less than me, less, less of me for being that way. But the empowerment part of it is when I realize I am actually a public person. As an artist, I have uh, almost a half of a million people following me. It seemed a disservice for me not to step out and say something for two reasons. One, because I am human and I am vulnerable. And that's how I drive my business and how I drive myself as a person. I live in complete and utter vulnerability. And I feel like I would be a liar otherwise. And I also want to empower other people with disabilities that entrepreneurship and other opportunities are there for them if they have the energy and ability to do that. Some people don't. Some people are so disabled that they do need government assistance. They do need help from people. But there are other people that are in these margins that are looking for ways to take care of themselves. And I fell into entrepreneurship partially because I've always been one. I have a picture of me, no joke, when I was like five. I don't know if it's on my website anymore. It's in one of our blogs. And I'm sitting there with an old rotary phone at my grandma's table with a pen. And I'm like taking orders and I'm like an interior designer with these old, you know, books of wallpaper. So I think I've always had that. But I really want to empower people that are feeling marginalized, that are feeling perhaps maybe they can't, a woman or a disabled person that can't go into a tech field because maybe it's it doesn't i don't look like everybody else well you know what disabilities provide superpowers to people they just do people with disabilities have these amazingly interesting different ways to look at the world and they are often a great asset to a business or owning a business so that's kind of where i've led into this but i've also had a back and forth feeling about it truly i step out I just had Prevention Magazine do a very large piece on me 
that was on the front of their website with a group of other, I think about eight people doing visible disability, doing invisible disabilities as their focus because it was invisible disabilities week. I think it was last week. And when I saw that, I was very proud. But within about an hour later, I was kind of uncomfortable. I'm like, can't take that back, you know, like, so there's these moments right now where I'm moving in and out and I'm, I'm not going to not do it. I'm not going to step into it. I'm not going to not step into it. I'm not going to pull back. I can't now. But there is, I just want to tell people who think about this as being a disabled person, because this is a very large weight to carry if you want to be vulnerable about your disability. Because I started, um, I want to say this because it's important. I started the Oregon Disabled Business Owners Association to do local, to make a directory for local businesses in Oregon that self-identified as disabled. And I couldn't get it off the ground because people did not want Mm -hmm. to be identified. And so for me, if I have the energy and I have the ability and I have the voice, I'm going to step into it because tomorrow, next week or next month, I might not have that voice. And I will depend on someone else to be that voice for me so that I could see that light and continue to hold space for myself. Wow. So I was, when you started, I was thinking of how to wrap this up and get out of the show, but I'm now I'm like, I got more questions. Um, let me just ask this one and then we'll wrap it up because we can okay. tackle a lot of this in part two. But the fact of you go from being on the cover of Prevention Magazine, that is probably- No, it's online. I'm going to correct Oh, it's that. online? It's okay. Not, it's, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not the, it's the online version. Okay. So, yep. All right. Well, then that-, that Kind of taints my question a little bit. Okay, okay. But still, you're you're online, you're featured, and it's you know this big thing. And an hour later, you're not feeling so good about it. I mean, I'm trying to figure out a way to ask how how could you feel bad about that? It's a good question to ask, and it's also a complex thing in my own head to go like, well, why? Why do I feel weird about it? Why? Because the reason for me is, is there's so much joy and so much um, passion behind speaking out. And that feels really good for me. But then there's parts of me is like, well, I don't deserve this. There's parts of me that's, that think like, why, do, why does my disability have to lead me as a person? I'm successful outside of that. Why does that have to be the forefront of me? There's other people out there being successful and they have other things that are their lead, but mine is my disability. And that's a, that's a complex thing for somebody who's disabled. Do you want to lead with that? Want to stand out about it, but it's also such a pain point. It's such a difficult thing to deal with. I mean, think about, for example, somebody with an addiction and they've cleaned up their addiction and now they're going out and they're speaking about it. It's a pain point. And I think that there's a beautiful thing about being a disabled person and being able to accept that. But every day, every day is where we have to be in therapy with our own brain all the time. There's always conversations that are going on about how to navigate the world, how to accept this, how to not be frustrated, how to how to be looked at and not be judged. I mean, there's just a, such a complex component. But then I move back into being really proud of it. And of course, I'm extremely excited, but I'm always, I think, going to have that for a while because it's so new and fresh to, to be like this. This is me. I remember and I'll say this. And I remember the first time 
I did a vanity search on Google. I was like, Anya Khan. And the first thing that came up, this was years ago, was illness. And I remember being real bummed out. Like, really, is that the thing everybody's going to associate with me? Is that really my lot in life? But you know what? It is. My lot in life is I am a disabled person with complex diseases that is living the best life I can. And I'm not going to deny that. It would be denying my identity. And I can't do that. But it is complex emotionally. All right. Well, that's how we'll end today. And we will continue the conversation. Anya, thank you very much for doing this. And I I don't know if I've been happier about an interview in, in a very long time. Uh, folks, she is an award-winning artist, an award-winning business owner, a digital marketing agency that does it all and not just one facet of it. And this is only part one. And uh, I look very forward to part two uh, coming up Wednesday, November 9th, 8 p.m. Eastern. Anya, thank you very much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. All right, folks. We'll see you soon. And until then, holla.